Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to the Shred Coach Podcast with Tom Adams. On this episode, Tom chats with Angie Singer-Keating, CEO and co-founder of Reclamere, a cybersecurity and data destruction company. Angie outlines the distinctions and alignment between the various data security service offerings they provide, as well as how those services evolve. And she discusses how vendors in the data and information security industries need to be ready for data security requirements we will all be required to face very soon. Angie Singer-Keating, welcome to the Shred Coach Podcast. I'm glad you're here. I am so happy to be here. I was so honored when you asked me. Well, I know that you're a well-known entity and person in the greater iSigma world. You've been in it for a long time. But for those who may not know who you are, tell me who you are, what company you work for, what your role is, and then like give me a little bit of your average day. Wow. Okay. If that's possible. Yeah. Yeah. So I am co-founder and CEO of Reclamere. We are a cybersecurity consulting company with three divisions. One of those divisions is obviously the cybersecurity consulting practice, but our original business unit was uh, secure destruction. And so we still have that division. And then the third division is our refurbished hardware resales department division. And we think those all three work very well together. And 22 years now we've been We've been doing that. and 22. Yeah. Yeah. And I own the company with my partner, Joe Harford. Many people also know know him. And um, he handles the sales and marketing side. And he also handles a lot of the HR and kind of professional development of our staff. And then I handle a lot of the subject matter expertise, R&D, and then a lot of the financial management of the organization. Together, we handle strategy, budgeting, those kind of things, arm wrestle, argue, fight, right. you know. All, all those wonderful things that partners do when you've been together for 22 years. Yeah. That's amazing. So on an average day, you you dropped a lot of things into the what, but so what, what's sort of the professional day-to-day life look like? Like where are you, are you focused a lot on, I, I realize there's the management of the business. There's all that kind of thing, but. But in terms of the the professional Angie, what's the professional Angie doing on a regular daily basis? Well, it depends on the day of the month, really, Mm -hmm. because what I try to do is I try to prioritize my days around different activities. So, for instance, right now we're coming into the end of the month. So I am focused on making sure that our office manager is getting me all of the bank statements so I can do reconciliations, close the books for the month. We also are part of a peer group for IT companies. And next month, we'll be going out to Phoenix to meet up with our peers. And so I have to be ready to explain our financials from Q4 and have those kind of picked apart. So I'm also going back and slicing and mm. dicing data and and looking at where could we have done better in our on our PL and, and balance sheet. But other days I'm I think sometimes I feel like I'm the fireman of the company. Mm. Um, oh my gosh, a client needs uh, their attorney reviewed our our contract T's and C's and isn't happy. Can you take a look at it? So I'm kind of like the company's dime store attorney, you Got know, for it. all of yep. the run of the mill stuff. And then obviously we have outside legal counsel for anything that, that goes beyond that. And then I spend a lot of time working with our team right now. We're in the process of deploying a new ERP for our IT asset management division. 
We've been using a custom implementation of QuickBooks that's been the bane of my existence for for 20 <laughs> years. But fortunately, now there are some there are some actual some real ERPs out there that were developed just for this industry that we're gonna we're gonna migrate to. And that should really give the give us some efficiencies as well as help me when I onboard staff. So just kind of some of the highlights. Right. My, right. So there's a lot of there's a lot of what what you described is a lot of business management specific things that come as projects, come as recurring stuff on on the on the actual part of data security, data management. I noticed by looking at your your LinkedIn profile on your Web page that you're you're like you've got certifications like on everything like you're a you're a certification, unbelievable amount of certification. So. Um, how much of your time is spent literally dealing with the expertise that you bring to bear on client situations? How much? How much are you are are you digging in on that world? Oh, there's a lot of it. Is um, there? I I mean, you know, it seems like every year there's a new buzzword. We um, just recently completed our SOP two type one mm -hmm. attestation. That was a really big important achievement for us because of the cybersecurity practice. That's what our clients want to see. Right now, I'm continuing to be asked about our ESG, environment, sustainability, and governance. And I know that, you know, without getting political, there are people out there that think, you know, this environmental stuff is just a big, you know, whatever. But I'm telling you right now, your clients are going to be asking you for it. And mm. the reason for that is because the SEC is asking publicly traded companies about their ESG programs. And then their shareholders are asking them, boards of directors are being held accountable for them. And that just gets pushed down through right. the supply chain. So I'm doing a lot of work right now in writing our ESG program. I promised the client I would have a first draft to them by the 15th of February. So I'm under deadline on that. Technology is really my passion. And one of the reasons that I got all those certifications was because I only have a two-year degree in electrical engineering. And I felt really, I felt at a real disadvantage if I was going to be out speaking about all of the things that I was doing in technology, I had to be able to prove some other way other than mm. a bachelor's or master's or PhD. Like my business partner, Joe, he's got a PhD in, in workforce development, entrepreneurial studies, but that didn't seem real practical or relevant for the business. Mm. So the best thing that I could do were seek out certifications that had a lot of demonstrable experience requirements. Um, there are certifications out there where you're just good at taking tests and you pass and now you got some letters right. to your name. I specifically sought out the ones that required so many years of documented professional experience. You had to have former employers validate yep. that and then go through a process of a four or eight hour exam. I really wanted to get those certifications that had teeth to prove to our client base that, you know, when I talk to you about security controls, I'm talking to you about it as an expert, not right. as somebody that's just kind of coming in and, and checking some boxes for you. Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. So when, when you started and explained the, the various service divisions of Reclamere, you started with cybersecurity and then you had secure IT asset destruction and then you had refurbishing and you said they work really nicely together. So while they're very, uh, I, I think they're very distinct service offerings, how specifically, because to me, I see the the secure destruction and the refurbishment as sort of one 
one side of that equation and then cybersecurity as the other. Give me a sense of not the distinction, but how those two work together, how they complement each other. Because you said that, and I just wanted to dig in further on that. How do you see that connection between cybersecurity and and the consulting part of it and this secure destruction refurb side of the business? Sure, sure. So when we started the destruction business, it wasn't long into it that my business partner, Joe, said, well, if we're destroying data, how do we know it's really gone? Because we were mm. digitally destroying it. And I said, well, we know it's gone because the tools that we use tell us it's gone. And he said, well, that's not good enough. And as an engineer, I knew that wasn't good enough, but I was hoping he would just walk away and leave it alone. <laughs> so I had to quickly design a quality control program of how we were going to prove. And so what, I, what we did was we started doing random samplings of doing data recovery. So we would pull so many hard drives of every batch and we would try to see if we could find any data off of these hard drives. And we got really good at doing. It. And so, well, why couldn't we recover data professionally? And so that really led to us building a team around data recovery. We had a, we had a class one clean room. We had folks that one of our biggest claims to fame was that we were able to recover data off of a hard drive that the FBI had not been able to recover data off of. And that kind of really gave us a reputation in the with attorneys in the state of Pennsylvania who started having us do data recoveries for forensic projects. Mm. That forensics then led to things like workplace misconduct investigations. You know, somebody downloaded an entire client base before they their last day of employment. Right. You know, right, right. can you come in and recover all of the data off of their hard drive and tell us what they took? And so these requests by clients, we never said no. We just said, well, mm. yeah, this is what we can do. And as long as the client, we were very upfront with the client, you know, the first forensic project, the, the client called and said, could you do this? And I said, I can do it, but I've not been accepted as an expert witness. Yeah, that's okay. It's not going to go to court. But that put us on the map with that accomplishment. Yeah. And then that led into the proactive services of when we see how things can go badly, we have some really good expertise to sit down and talk to you about how you could have prevented that. Those are called mm. security controls. And so that was the point where I said, I better get some certification around being a security auditor to demonstrate I know what I'm talking about. And that was 12 years ago at this point. For us, mm. your destruction is just the last step of the data lifecycle. So it's a natural service offering for us to do because data is born it has to be managed and protected, and then it has to die. Just right. so happens we founded our business on the destruction of data, but because of our quality control program, we learned how to restore it, and then we learned more about managing it and how to secure it while it was within folks' environment. And as we know now, the perimeter, there is no more machine. It's the cloud. Data is everywhere. And so we really help clients secure that data no matter where it is. Right. So what, what you did, how I'm hearing it is you started out at sort of the end of the life cycle, but you constantly moved yourself into the, the farther and farther into the front end of the life cycle to really, to really support your clients. So it's really a seamless process. It sounds like it may be that you go out and consult independently of any sort of ITAD services on the back, mm -hmm. but ultimately the thing, the a client has the possibility of flowing through the whole system with you. Sure. And our client bases are different for the different divisions. Mm. So for instance, in secure destruction, we need 
big companies that have a lot of computers so that they're getting rid of because right. they're not going to pay for our services. We're one of the most expensive in the industry. We do some service offerings that we have not found competitors offering, such as we'll ship secure cards all over the country with secure chain of custody for those secure cards coming back for us to process it here in Pennsylvania. That's not cheap. That's an expensive yeah. service. Right. And right. so the, the biggest thing about the destruction service was it's always been about security for us. That's what we were founded on. That was our competitive differentiator. When we started the company, we said, but we're different. All of the competitors out there, they get these old computers in and they're making all their money off of selling the computers and the components and the circuit boards. That's not where we're going to make our money. We're going to make our money on destroying the data and certifying that destruction. Whatever we make on the equipment, that's just that's just icing on the cake or right. that's back end paper revenue. And a really smart man, Tom Simpson, told me the second year I was in business, it sounds like your business is a lot like paper and you need to make your money on the service you provide, not on the back end commodities. And he explained to me how in paper, when the price of paper is down, those companies out there that have dirt cheap destruction yeah. services, they'll shred your paper, take your paper for free, shred it for free because they're going to make all the money on the paper. Those companies go down. They don't yeah. do well yeah. in a, in a commodity driven environment. And that was one of the most important pieces of advice I ever got from anyone. So no matter yeah. how tempting it ever was when the price of copper is high or, you know, circuit boards are high or whatever. We just use that to give our clients better pricing. We use right. that to hold costs for our clients yeah. on our construction side. Not that we were going to turn around and add that revenue as, as bought a, you know, putting that in the P&L that we were going to count on that because we knew that could fluctuate. Okay. So, so it's, it's as much, uh, and while I, I, you know, I've been in the industry a long time, like you have, I, I don't know the back end of your business as well, say as the back end of the paper business, but is it as highly fluctuating as paper commodity is? Absolutely. There's Absolutely. just a lot more elements to it, right? So yeah. you, you can resell it as, as the component, or you can, can, you can also then sort of dis disintegrate it and sell it as, as the elements. Is that? Sure. Yeah. So we're, we're a Microsoft authorized refurbisher. So okay. the material that has still has good life left in it, we pay our clients for that. We give them what we call buyback credits. And then the material that is not suitable to be resold or refurbished in whole, we will then tear commodities from that. Ah, But okay. we do not do any type of smelting or any type of, you know, nothing like that at all. So RAM, we sell processors. We sell, we never sell hard drives ever. Hard drives are either sanitized and repurposed in our own machines because we have dual quality control from we destroyed the data on the hard drive, but we're also then going to verify a second time before when it goes through the testing and refurb process to make sure there's no data on it. But we never, you couldn't call me and say, hey, I want to buy 500 hard drives. I have okay. them. Stuck. We use them ourselves or they get, or they get shredded. Got it. And and then and then finally, obviously, there's just stuff that has no value. Right. You know, the 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 stuff right. that's so old. And we charge, obviously have to charge for that. And we get charged by our downstream right. processors for that. Yeah. But that all can change from 
month to month, week to week, and uh, generally tends to follow the, the the recycled paper markets quite a bit because hmm. the same industries that are recovering cardboard or recovering paper, they're doing that for boxes for stuff that's being built. Well, the copper, the circuit boards, the process, all of that stuff is going into material that's being built. Yes. So if things aren't being built from the recycled commodities that come out of IT asset management, they don't need to go into boxes made from recycled paper that come out of the papers recovery part of yes. it. So God. they tend to uh, oh. track each other very, very closely. Wow. That's, that's really, I've never heard that before. That's, that's the, that's an insight I've never connected before. So thank you for sharing that. I want to kind of jump on a different track because I've watched you for many years. I've watched you through what was originally made into iSigma, but back in the day, you helped sort of write some of the, some or most of the spec for the NAID AAA certification on data. And and so I've watched you, but, but I've also been aware, you know, both at the iSigma or NAID PRISM conference, that, that kind of history, but also out in the, out in the broader world where your clients live, you have a, you have, I think a really distinct way that you go out and market yourself. And how I see that is kind of expertise positioning. Like you go out and teach people stuff. Tell me a little bit about how you how you came to that realization that that was a way to build business. Tell me a little bit about your marketing philosophy, if, if there's one sitting in the back there somewhere. Well, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. Isn't that what they say? Mm-hmm. Nobody knew what computer recycling was when we started this business. We had to educate. Yeah. And we thought, well, we'll just educate people and they will, of course, use our services. Why wouldn't they? And so that was the only way to sell. Joe Harford was good at getting in front of people. And he would then bring me in to talk about all of the environmental benefits, all of the regulations on why you need to dis- destroy this data. Now, mind you, this was 20 years ago. There was right. no enforcement. And everybody talked about the environment. But then when they found out they were going to have to pay to have material process, they didn't want to do that. And and everybody was all about keeping data secure until they found out that was going to cost money. So it was a hard sell. And it really Mm. was all about all I could do was educate. And the second, you know, thing that we learned very quickly was we better say next very quickly when an opportunity, because there's only you can you can lead the horse to water, but you can't make it drink. And so that was really why we started in the subject matter expertise type of marketing and sales, because there really was nothing else at that time. There's no search engine optimization. And even if they were, what would people have been searching for? How to get rid of my old computers or, you know, that kind of... Yeah, they were new computers at the time. Yeah. And you just kept them as long as you could possibly keep them running in many cases. So, right. Okay. So, but, but as you've evolved over the years and I, I've, I've been privy to watching this a little bit, just, just watching and hearing how you get, you know, watching and following your LinkedIn profiles and, and sort of the things that you and Joe post that there have been, there's been a, a evolution of the platforms that you've been on because of that historic. And now it seems to me that you're much deeper into cybersecurity um, conversations from the front of the room versus just data protection. Sure. In the the pre, like the those early days where you were educating about that, so give me a little bit of the evolution of that process for you. Was it just as you learned stuff, you'd deliver it more? How do, how did you think about that, or do you have sort of a plan behind that that's that's 
constantly pushing you forward. I would love to say this was all a grand plan, but no, it was listening to clients, what they needed. It was also a lot to do with the fact that I just get bored really easily. Mm -hmm. And there was a time where I got really angry at being treated like the computer garbage person. Like Uh, people didn't get it. You don't understand. There's information that's that that affects people's life, life and death. I mean, we are, most of our clients were healthcare or yeah. financial information. Like this was before there was any real regulatory enforcement, and I was out there just screaming like, "This isn't computer garbage. There's data on here. You right. know, there's if this is this is a big deal. Listen to me." Yeah. And so, you know, as we got better at data recovery, there was a while where. You know, once things were kind of rolling along, Nade at the time, now I Sigma, finally recognized IT asset management and digital data destruction. You know, I had to like white papers and research and all kinds of position papers and stuff to get them to to finally buy in. You know, the board, Bob Johnson was on board right away and Cherie Bartel, they got it. But it took a while for the other ones to get on board and they finally did. But I kind of just got bored. I was tired. And so I was like, I love this data recovery stuff. I was in the lab. I was taking apart hard drives and I was replacing platters and hard drives. And I was working with the attorneys and I was doing litigate. Like I love learning. And Mm. so um, to be honest, I'm getting a little bored right now with the cybersecurity part of it. I'm really right now focused on governance and executive leadership in cybersecurity. And I've gotten away from a lot of the day-to-day, like I have an entire team now on my data security group, we call them the DSC. And that group of guys, they know more than I have. Like, I mean, these guys know their stuff. They're guys that came, they were our clients. We hired them away from our clients for when they left. And and these guys know their stuff. And so I let them do their thing. So cool. I really get excited is around risk management and being able to take and interpret what they do around cybersecurity and interpret it for C-level and board-level folks. Mm. That gets me excited right now. I don't know how long that'll last, but if I ever stop having fun and I stop learning, the other thing is around financial metrics. You know, Joe got me involved in this peer group, which I hated to start with. You know, you're, I'm going to go sit in front of a bunch of people who are going to call my baby ugly. But now I'm really digging into it. I love to slice and dice data. So yes. that's another part of the business that has me super excited is really around the financial management, the financial strategy um, mm. of our company. Love it. Love it. That's really cool. Well, let's let's jump into another path because because I I just I'm I'm interested in your perspective. So you've been a part of the Nade world, helped write helped write and and push the whole AAA certification for data. But because you know this world and you're friends with many people who are in the shredding the, the traditional paper shredding world, and even in the data security space, I I just I feel like what I see sometimes is they miss the cybersecurity expertise that you have, right? And yes, they're out, they're making sure the paper's protected, but there's like the, the, the cobbler with crappy shoes. We pitch data security, but we're not very secure with our own. So the ones that scare me most are the, the people that are doing archiving, digital archiving. They're mm. the people that really terrify me because they're relying on vendors for all of this scanning and storage that they're doing 
and I talk to them and their response to me when I talk to them about security controls that they have in place in their companies is, oh, well, our vendor takes care of all that. We just log into a portal and no, mm. no, I'm sorry. You, that, that would keep me up at night. Every mm. time your employee logs in to that vendor site to scan documents for your client, they've just opened a hole mm. for all kinds of security problems between you and that vendor. So, and here's the other thing. Don't take my word for it. There's something called CMMC. If you're in the record storage business around, you know, scanning and, and digital archiving, you're going to have to comply with CMMC, which is the, the uh, capability maturity modeling for cybersecurity. And you're going to have to get certified to a certain level if you do anything within the de defense industrial base with the Department mm. of Defense. Not just if you directly contract with DOD, but if you have clients who are DOD contractors, you're going to have to be in that chain. So supply chain risk management is going to force those of us in the secure destruction and secure storage world to step up their game. And so, so where else do you where else do you see potential risk in say the and, and let's just take a, a a shred truck operator who has three trucks. What what's their risk? Where are they at risk? Their biggest risk from what I see is the potential for them to end up on the wrong end of a big ransomware attack where they're mm. unable to run their business because their computer systems have been locked down. They're not going to, you know, if all they do is paper. They're not going to be in a situation where they're going to expose their clients data, but they certainly could be in a situation where they expose their employees information. Right. They're regulated under yes. data protection laws and not being able to operate your business for any period of time because, you know, all of your, you know, you've been compromised. That's an operational risk that I don't know that many of them truly appreciate. So they need to have good disaster recovery plans. They need to test all, ever, all of us do. But on just purely the paper side, it's really around protecting client information, protecting employee information, right, right. protecting your business continuity. Systems. Yeah, business. right, right. But but to me, that goes back to what you said earlier, which is a governance thing, right? Yeah. It's how you govern your own company, even if you're an independent operator and you got three trucks, but how you govern the management of your systems and tools is a security risk that you're uh, always taking. Well, the other people, you know, again, don't believe me or you don't think that CMMC is going to apply to you. It's all about cyber liability insurance. You're not going to be able to get coverage. Right. I mean, the bare minimum now to get cyber liability coverage is two-factor authentication on everything, a patch management program that you can document and prove that you actually do, and some type of endpoint threat protection and monitoring. I was just at a cybersecurity, cyber liability insurance conference in Manhattan about two months ago, and it was put on by the carriers. And on every panel, they were talking about the fact that they're overrun with applications for cyber liability insurance coverage. And they don't want to underwrite policies for companies that don't have the basic bare minimum security controls in place. Multi-factor authentication, encryption of data at rest, patch management, and, and having that, those endpoints monitored for active threats. That's the bare minimum stakes to get coverage these days. Wow. Now, if you don't have those things and you have coverage right now, okay, you're on borrowed time, 
But also, if you have a breach, probably buried in your exclusions is the fact you're not getting coverage because you don't have those things in place. Right, right, So right, right. You know, it's really good. 22 years of, you don't have to believe me, but at some point you'll need me and I'll bite my tongue and not say I told you so. <laughs> but I'm telling you, this is what's going on right now in this space, in this yeah. world. Well, and I, I can attest to that, Angie, because I've listened to you talk this language for 20 years and uh, heard you talking about this, it, you know, iteration after iteration after iteration, as I think you were bored your way into the next iteration of, of figuring out this crazy, this crazy world we live in. But no, that's really helpful. It's helpful to hear that because I think it's so easy to get stuck in the business that we're doing, the, the act of doing the business we're in. And neglect this thing that lives on the, what it appears like the peripherals, but it's really the heart of actually making this thing work. Um, get it. And I'm, and I get fatigued too. Yeah. You know, when, when yeah. a couple of my sales guys started coming to me saying, we have clients asking about our ESG program. That was literally two days after we finished our SOC 2 type one attestation. <laughs> I just written the check to the auditor and right. I'm, got a plan in place to get to SOC 2 type 2 for 2023. And now I get to write an ESG. Yes. And I oh. go do some work and I find out it's six areas of impact with 140 some questions of areas I have to be able to talk about diversity, inclusion, community, business. I just want to deliver service. Right. Right. That's it. It's yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But guess what? It's also opportunity because I'm going to take our ESG program and I'm going to market the heck out of it against my competitors. It's a competitive yes. differentiator. Yeah. No, that's great. It's very cool. Well, I have one more, one more kind of an interesting question. And it's only because I follow you on social media channels. And I know or I believe strongly that you're a horse person. And, and I don't know. Is that how I say it? You're a horse person. You're a horse whisperer. You're a horse something. There's, there's connection to horses. Is that, that's correct, right? Yes. Accurate. I had a midlife crisis when my son, who's now 25, was 16 years old. And I realized I was in an unhappy marriage and I had no hobbies. And my kid was always either off with his girlfriend playing football or somewhere in his car with his friends. I better get a life. And I discovered my first horse. I leased my first horse. I now have a horse named Triton that I've had since 2017. He's my dream horse. He's my unicorn. And it's just the only activity I have found that allows me to turn everything about business and life off in my brain and just focus on this animal and be in a moment in time to, to kind of keep my sanity. So this may be a weird question coming out of that then. So what has Triton taught you about being a CEO? Has that, that horse, that relationship with Triton, your horse, taught you anything? It, you said it allows you to go offline, and it's the only thing that allows you to go offline. But has going offline with Triton specifically taught you anything about being a better CEO? Energy. Hmm. Energy. What do you mean? What do you mean by that? With horses, it's the energy you bring to them is reflected back in you, the energy that they give you. And they're mm. flight animals. So I get on the back of a thousand pound jackrabbit that when he's afraid of something like a plastic bag, his instinct is to bolt. He's feeding off of my energy. And so I have to bring calm energy to him if I want to get a calm animal back. 
And a perfect example right before I came in, and I'm not perfect, but I know that the energy I bring into something with my staff or with customers is the energy that I'm going to get back. And right Mm. before this call with you today, I was late going into a meeting. I brought frazzled energy into the meeting. Colin Scott was conducting the meeting. It was an internal meeting of, of a book club we do on Mondays with our staff. I opened up my sandwich. I'm starving. And they grilled my BLT. And I specifically asked for my BLT not to be grilled. And because I had this frenzied energy, I was hungry and starving. And I interrupted Colin and started complaining about my BLT. And I looked or I looked up and I noticed my staff like they were like that was the wrong energy to bring. Mm. And I allowed my stress of being hungry and being frazzled to interfere with a very productive meeting that Colin was running. Mm. And so it it is all energy in yeah. people, in horses. And I constantly strive to bring the right energy to the situation at any given moment. And just like today, I sometimes fail miserably. Well, thank you for being honest about it, but also for sharing that, because I I think it's such a it's such a powerful perspective to understand that the energy that you hold in you impacts everybody around you. And a lot of times as as CEOs, as owners, as partners, as executives and companies, what we don't recognize is the infinite power of our energy on our teams. That yeah. means more than anything you say and almost anything you you do. The yeah. energy and that intention, you can take two steps forward with your culture and you can completely decimate that in a moment of frustration, anger, stress, whatever. And I strive that that is really challenging for me because people who know me, I'm an open book. It is very hard. I don't have a poker face. I don't do well with diplomacy. I'm not a, I'm not political. I'm not a diplomat. What you see is what you get. But there are times where it is just not appropriate to behave that way. And I struggle very, very hard with that. And I know a lot of people in, a, in business leadership, ownership, we do this because we thought we could do something better than whoever it was that we worked for. That kind of chutzpah, that kind of arrogance, that comes along with some bad, bad personality traits. So, you know, being around horses reminds me, it's all about the energy you bring. Beautiful. Thank you. Well, Angie, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I, I love your perspective. I love the way you look at the world and I appreciate you sharing it with us in the community. And I hope that as a result of this conversation, people will think about their own energy. They'll think about their own cybersecurity and they'll think about some of the stuff we've talked about. So I really appreciate you being with with me on the show today. You are so welcome. I, I absolutely adore you. you know, one of the things you model so well is servant leadership. You truly help us and we've benefited tremendously from the work that you've done. So we're truly, truly grateful to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I appreciate it. And uh, uh, we'll look forward to seeing you in person soon. Great. Thanks, Tom. Thanks again for listening to the Shred Coach podcast with Tom Adams. Make sure to visit theshredcoach.com for regular functional training modules directly from Tom and subscribe to our email list so you can have first access to brand new stories, insights, and strategies from trusted shredding and business professionals.